Well, good morning, dear church. Great to be with you and to uh, worship our great God together. Uh, I want to welcome those of you joining us online. A good morning to you, as well as other campuses that are joining us here today. Um, God's richest blessings to each of you. I have a couple of things that I want to talk with you about before we get into uh, God's Word. The first is, as was mentioned earlier, uh, this coming Saturday, we've got kind of a fun Bethel churchy kind of thing we're doing at the, uh, at the Railcats, which is uh, the stadium there in, in Gary. Uh, it'll be this Saturday. Rumor has it that uh, the senior pastor of the church is throwing out the first pitch. And I just want you to know, I'm going to do my very best not to embarrass the church or my wife whose dad was a Major League Baseball player, and I feel extra pressure from that. Um, I will take requests, though, for curveball, slider. If it goes crazy, it's because I threw a knuckle, all right? So that's my excuse. But uh, it's going to be a good time. You can get tickets right after this. It's eight bucks for a, a ticket, and uh, I hope to uh, enjoy uh, some fun there with uh, a big group from our, our church. I have two other updates uh, for our church family. The first is that every year we have, this is a matter of practice for us as a a church, we have an outside accounting firm that comes in and we open all the books and all the policies and they come in and they give all of that a very careful look and uh, then they write a big report and they say, you know, you should think about this or maybe you should do that and we've... Uh, done this for for many years now, and uh, you know often there's a, a long list of things that they're like you know do this, tweak that, etc. Uh, well, we just got our report back here recently uh, from Cape and Kraus, which was our accounting firm that did this, and they had no suggestions for any changes on what we do. And I mention that because, you know, obviously it's critical that we as a congregation handle the Lord's money in the Lord's way in a matter of glorifying to Him. And uh, this is one way that we can ensure that. But also, I think it's important for the trust factor that uh, donors and supporters of the church feel for uh, the giving to, to Bethel Church, that these are being handled appropriately and um, so... That blue ribbon from them is, I think, something to celebrate. And I just want to give special kudos for uh, this effort to our lead elders, uh, to our deacons, and to our accounting office, the finance office of our church, which includes Chad Stukesbury, Sandy Wood, and Dave Harvey. So well done to them for that, uh, for that blue ribbon. I also have an update on uh, the Joseph Klusterman Fund. Now, if you weren't here a month ago, month and six weeks ago, we introduced uh, the Joseph Klusterman Fund by telling about uh, little Joseph. He's five years old. Um, He has brain cancer, and his family has done every possible medical effort, and the medical community has... Uh, deemed him terminal. So we uh, shared about Joseph, and we shared that we are creating a fund for uh, not just 
the Klusermans, but members of our church whose children have been deemed terminal by the medical community, a fund to bless families such as them and to bless them. Uh, and I want to give you a little update on that fund. And what we said is that all monies that are given to our benevolent fund in the month of June would go towards uh, this special fund, the Joseph Fund. And uh, here we are now uh, past June, and I want to give you an update on this. So normally, our benevolent fund, a normal month for our benevolent fund, we receive around $20,000 in a normal month. This is how much you gave to the Joseph Fund. Amazing. Amazing. So thank you, uh, everyone that gave to that. Uh, A few weeks ago, I reached out to the Klusterments, and I said, you know, uh, what would you like us to do for you? And uh, again, the thought on this is that we want to do whatever is going to bless the family. If they need help, medical bills, if they want to have kind of that sort of make-a-wish experience trip, Whatever they want uh, is what we want to uh, provide for them. And so they said, give us a few days to think about it. We'll get back with you. And uh, he, uh, Nate got back to me and he said, we would like a tree house. So we are going to build them a very nice tree house. And we're doing so as quickly as possible for obvious reasons and you can continue to pray for the Klusterman family. Our summer series is entitled Bottom Lines of the Bible, and I'm gonna guess here in the middle of the summer you're sort of getting the, the, the intent of this and the, the vibe of this, that much of the Bible is kind of ethereal and a little confusing. And so this series is intended to to pick out those things that are not that way, like sort of the bottom lines. Like, just give me the bottom line. Give it to me straight. I don't want confusion. I want to know uh, clearly what is the Bible saying. And so we've done a number of these already this summer. Today, we are looking at a verse that is kind of one of those sort of uh, aspirational, uh, ambition, life verse type verses. Uh, If I ask you what's your life verse, you know, typically Christians will have a a favorite verse or something like that, and uh, probably many of you, I would say, would have Matthew 6.33 possibly as that kind of verse. It's the the kind that, you know, uh, Hobby Lobby puts on a plaque that you can put on the wall. Uh, It's something you can, you know, put in your car as a reminder today as I go to school or as today as I go to work, this is my point, the, the point of what I'm doing. Uh, it works great on a magnet on the fridge. Matthew 6.33. So here it is. Here's this week's bottom line. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Bottom line. Let me say it again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So if you're not there yet, I'd encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 6, as 
is almost always the case. The context of verses is critically important for understanding what it means. And this bottom line, like a math equation, uh, there's a lot above the line that explains the bottom line. And indeed, in Matthew 6, here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is uh, teaching, and he's you know, talking about a wide variety of, of things. And he gets into chapter 6, and in verse 25, here is, here is what he says uh, regarding our basic needs. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. So here are now categories that we are familiar with. Jesus is addressing, I mean, if you really got down to the essential things that we need to survive, it would be food, water, and shelter. And down through a human history, what have people primarily worried about? Food, water, and shelter. And so uh, it's kind of a bottom line of Jesus in that he's really getting to our bottom line. What are the essential needs that we have? They are these, and of course, these are the things that, therefore, our anxieties and our worries and our fears also revolve around. What will I eat? What will I drink? And will I have uh, provision and shelter? Notice what he says, again, verse 25. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And there we have a, a, a nature illustration. And what he says is, think of the birds. Okay, we're all familiar with birds. Think of those birds. They don't have barns. They don't have 401ks. And yet, somehow they are well fed, right? Those birds, they, they eat well uh, because God provides for them. Like sparrows, he will feed you. Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, anybody struggle with anxiety, worry, fear? What does Jesus say? How many of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the, his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't sow, okay? Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And here now another uh, illustration from nature. The flowers of the field, okay? They don't sow. They don't shop at the mall. And yet, they're beautiful. They're adorned beautifully by God is the point that he's making. And if God will clothe these lesser things that, you know, they grow and then they die, how much more will he care to clothe you, meaning that we are of much more value than even flowers of the field? Therefore, here's his bottom line. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? By second service, this is, will be on people's minds already. What's, what are we having for lunch? My, my daughter's just uh, every day, it's the daily routine. What are, we, what are we eating? When are we eating and what are we eating? And I just want to say to them, have you ever missed a meal your entire life? Why are you so obsessed about this? You eat well. 
all the time. Look at our grocery bills. Okay, that was my addition to Jesus' words here. Let's get back to it. Therefore, do not be anxious uh, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? And the idea there with Gentiles is not so much ethnicity as people that are not the people of God. They seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, so again, the basic needs. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What is our shelter gonna be? Don't worry about those things, is what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about them. If you want to worry, some of you are like, I got to worry. I'm just a worry wart. I am a worrier. Jesus says, okay, well, if you're going to worry about something, here's what you should worry about. And that's then the bottom line, verse 33. But worry about the king, I'm sorry, seek first. Do you get the plan words there? Okay. Take the energy of all your anxiety and your worrying and your fear and worry about the kingdom of God. Be anxious about the matters of the kingdom of God. Put your energy into the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so the contrast in the text is the, the contrast between anxiety and worry and fear that dominates our minds on a daily basis about things that the Father promises he's going to give to us anyway, take that same kind of energy and effort and priority and place it upon spiritual matters and the priorities of the kingdom of God. Now, let's talk about the kingdom of God, Okay. Because if we're to seek first the kingdom of God in our life, we better know what are, we, what are we going for here, okay? What is the kingdom of God? And if you read through Matthew, Matthew normally calls it the kingdom of heaven, but here, kingdom of God, they are essentially synonymous. The kingdom of God. So if you think about a kingdom, okay, a human kingdom, let's think about the kingdom of Indiana. We don't call it that. We call it the state, but in a sense, the kingdom of Indiana, it is a kingdom within which there is authority, there is a rule, there is a reign within the borders of the state of Indiana. If you go uh, from here, you go 15 miles west, you will pass into another kingdom, a kingdom with a different name and a different authority, a kingdom that lots of people are moving from to this kingdom because they prefer the authority of this kingdom than the authorities uh, exercised in that kingdom. But since we broadcast on Moody Radio, I just want to say I'm sorry about that. <laughs> the kingdom of Indiana has a governor who has authority right up to the state line, on the west Illinois, to the south Kentucky, to the east Ohio, to the north Michigan. Within that realm, there is a reign, and there is an authority. And this is what God's kingdom is like. It is a rule. It is a reign. The king of the kingdom of God is Jesus. That's why we, we, will, we will talk about King Jesus, and rightly so. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has authority that he said in Matthew 28, God gave him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This kingdom within which Jesus exercises reign is 
presently ruling within the human heart. It is a spiritual reign. This is why Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It is a, it is a human being who surrenders, who bows, who submits to the reign of King Jesus, enthrones Jesus in their heart as Savior and Lord, and enters into then the kingdom of God with a rule and a reign exercised with all authority by King Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. Now someday, the kingdom of God will cease to be a spiritual, invisible entity. It will be very much a physical and a galactic one. Because someday, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. And so this kingdom is going to be exercised, the reign and the rule of Jesus will be exercised into every realm on earth, in heaven, the demons, etc. But for now, it is through the gospel, it is King Jesus. The best definition I've heard by D.A. Carson, the kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God through Christ. The redemptive reign of God through Christ. His kingdom is here today. The kingdom of God is right here in our midst. But someday it is going to be everything. It will push into every realm. And it's this kingdom that Jesus says, take all your anxieties and your worries and your energies and put it towards seeking this kingdom first. Okay, let's talk about first. What does that mean? Is it, is it chronological? So is Jesus here saying that you really need to pray and read your Bible in the morning, not at night? It's gotta be the first thing chronologically. And I'm a fan of doing that in the morning, but uh, that's a side note. That's not what it's saying here. Rather, it is first in terms of priority, first in terms of importance, that in the value set of my heart and my mind, the most important thing to me is the kingdom of God. It is the glory of God. It is the gospel of God. It is the, the Messiah of God. It is Jesus and all the things that he is doing in this world to bring about that redemptive reign that for us as followers of Jesus, we are to seek this first in our priorities. Like a hungry man seeks food, the Christian seeks whatever will advance the glory of God in the world. Like a thirsty person might seek water, the Christian seeks after spiritual priorities in their life. And so what, what Jesus is saying is we should be like obsessive kind of people. We should be ambitious kind of people. As long as that ambition is aimed at the priorities or the priority of the kingdom of of God. And that's why it's there first, okay? We're, we're seeking these things first. It's not to say that we don't, you know, put anything into our physical needs. We don't, you know, it doesn't mean that you just, you know, go home and stand in front of the fridge and go, um, um, no. You go to the grocery store and you buy groceries, okay? And you go to the restaurant and you, and you eat your food and you make sure that your water is there and you hydrate and, and you know, fix the roof so you got some shelter and go ahead and buy some clothes. It's fine. But those things aren't like the obsession of our life. They are not 
the important thing to us. That the things that really jazz us and the things that we really care about are things that relate to the work of God in the world and the work of the church and the mission of God. And the things of God are the most important things to the people of God. Now, that seems self-evident, like, duh, right? Duh. And yet, isn't this the challenge for us living in this world? And that's why I think that word first is in there. Yes, again, like birds gather their food to eat. And uh, like the flowers of the field grow roots in order to provide the nutrients that they need, we should meet our basic needs. That's fine. But the priority are the, is the things of God. So, for example, you can pursue excellence in your career, and I would argue that as a Christian, this is what we should do. You should be the best student, the best engineer, the best, uh, you know, steel worker, the best whatever in your whole company. We should do these things with excellence. But the first priority is the kingdom of God. You can raise your children and be a wonderful domestic engineer, and that could and should be a really hugely important thing to you, but it's not important, more important than the things of God. You can work diligently as a student and get an awesome GPA, but it's your spiritual GPA that's the most important thing. That's what he's getting at here. So to ask the question, would you take a job that enriched you but would be detrimental to you spiritually? Would you? You know, I love to meet people. I, I often I meet, I meet uh, people new to the area, new to the church or whatever. They're, they're checking things out. And I hear from some of them, they'll say, we're thinking about moving to the area, but we wanted to make sure there was a good church first. And I think to myself, you're our kind of people, okay? You're our kind of people. Why? Because that indicates, I think, a, a right priority. Or can I ask this question? If all of a sudden you had to move, would your first instinct to be house hunting or church hunting? I think that would reveal where the priorities are at. And that's what Jesus is saying is the most important thing in this world is, is the kingdom of God and the things of God and the gospel of God. Or to say it this way, the kingdom of God is not the only thing, but it's the most important thing. It's not the only thing. It's the most important thing. And I just want to ask Christian today, how does your life reflect this bottom line? How, would anybody get the idea in the living of life with you that, that, man, the things of God are important to you? Are they at the top? Are they somewhere down here? Where are they at? No matter what we claim to be our big thing, it is actually the things that we think about and that we talk about and that we spend our time in and our money flows towards, those are the functional priorities of our lives. And so the bottom line today is Jesus trying to pull us out of a pagan way, an atheistic, secularistic sort of way of thinking and living and pulling us into a faith relationship with our Heavenly Father where he promises to meet all of our basic needs, which frees us to really obsess about the things of God. That's what he's saying in this verse. Now, I read this in my prep. It was written uh, probably more than 50 years ago. But you tell me if this doesn't sound relevant to you. 
D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There are so many people who can be described as spiritual worldlings. And I think he's talking about people in, in the church. If you talk to them about salvation, they have the correct view. But if you talk to them about life in general, they are worldlings. When it is a matter of salvation of the soul, they have the correct answer. But if you listen to their ordinary conversation about life in the world, you will discover a heathen philosophy. They are worried about food and drink. They are always talking about wealth and possession and their various possessions. These things really control them. They are made happy or unhappy by them. They are put out by them or pleased by them. And they are always thinking about and talking about them. That is to be like the heathen, says Christ, for the Christian should not be controlled by these things. This is the challenge in our hearts. The kingdom of man every day makes an appeal to us. And that appeal is largely a value set, a priority list of what we should be really caring about and thinking about and living for in our life. It does this every day, and many of the people in our lives apply peer pressure to us, and they sort of indicate by their talk in their life that these are the things that should be prioritized. I, I will tell you, I was not so long ago in a gathering of community men, and, uh, and uh, these men were sort of being men. And what that meant was, what were they talking about? The conversation was about their favorite food at restaurants. And which restaurant is like the one to go to? Their home size, location, their possessions, their hobbies, and their perceived value and importance. All the while consuming large amounts of adult beverages. This was a normal sort of gathering of normal human beings. That's just normal men being normal men without the Holy Spirit, without the gospel, without the priorities of the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like and what it sounds like. And the world, I think, presses us to make their priorities our priorities and to obsess and worry about those things. And Jesus here says, seek first in priority the kingdom of God. That's a bottom line. Now the question is, how do we do that? Okay, how do we do that? I have a few suggestions related to this. And the first one is that it's really critical to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, which is another way of saying that in the priorities of our days and the priorities of our lives, we need to have a very careful not to do list. Okay, a not to do list. I heard this some years ago. We all, or many of us, like to do lists. I'm a to do list person. I begin my day, part of my, the beginning of my day is I make a list on a sticky note of all the things that I hope to accomplish in that particular day. In fact, last night I, I said to Jennifer, I, I said, I was going, we were getting ready for bed and I felt good about myself because I said, you know, I got everything done on my to-do list today. Okay. I'm a to-do list person. Uh, and I, I'm a fan of that. But it's also critical that we have a not to-do list. Because if we don't have a not to-do list, the things that uh, don't really matter can easily crowd out the things that actually do matter. And 
before we know it, our time and our attention, indeed our lives, are lived for lesser things, not so important priorities. To, to seek the kingdom of God first, we have to seek many other things second. Okay? That's kind of what I'm getting at is the inference here is that to seek the kingdom of God first, you've got to have a very careful secondary list. Or maybe things that we decide not to seek at all, or not to care about at all. And this is how I think it's so helpful, is that by keeping the kingdom of God as the first priority, it ensures that we are spending our time and our money and our efforts and our lives on things that will increasingly make our lives significant. My burden is that we have many people who dither their life away. They spend their life on trivias and they, they obsess about things that a second after they're dead won't matter at all. And how easy it is, especially today, with all of the distractions and all the little shiny things that we can get all focused on for our hearts to shrink, for our lives to shrink as our lives are spent on things that don't matter. One second after you're dead and you stand before King Jesus, I say you, one second after we're dead, okay? This is a we thing. <laughs> one second after we're dead and we stand suddenly before the glory and the majesty of God and there is King Jesus in all of his resplendent glory. And there in that, in that moment, it will dawn on us that we have either spent our life on things that matter to him, or we have dithered away our life on things that don't matter at all. And Matthew 6.33 is an appeal and, in a sense, a guide to how to live a life that matters in this life, but also in the next life. Friends, we were made to worship God. We were made for glory. We were made for sacrifice. We were made for service. And what that means is, is that we derive meaning and value and significance when we are involved in something that is far greater than ourselves. And the stamp collection isn't that. And your garden isn't that. <laughs> your phone is not that. Your sports team isn't that. Your car isn't that. Your fashion isn't that. And it's a long list of things that are not that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And as a young person gives their heart and life to the things of God, 
that young person's life, the footprint of their life expands. And as the adult Christian increasingly surrendering to Jesus, putting off the old man, putting on the new, living in the daily discipline and of discipleship, gives their life to other people in the service in the kingdom of God, their footprint expands and grows and our lives, we get to the end of our life, we don't look back and go, what did I do with it? I wasted my life. Today is the day to seek first the kingdom of God. Okay? Today. You say, but I can't do that. I've got so many things I've got to worry about. Did you hear what Jesus said? You don't got to worry about those things. Not obsess about them. That's the way people that don't think there's a God live. And certainly, the God that's there, not a God of love who sent his son to save you, they, they don't have that. We have that. And therefore, we are freed from the shrinking of our life by obsessing about things that in the end don't matter. And we are freed to a life that seeks after the things that matter in this life and in the next. That's the point. So how's your not-to-do list doing? Maybe think about that. What is there in your life that's sort of impeding the Matthew 6.33 thing and maybe move it from the to-do list over to the not-to-do list? Make it a secondary thing. Now, I've been thinking about the end of the verse we kind of skip that often in our minds, but notice what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, the, the, the meaning of that is in the sense obvious that when we seek first the kingdom of God, God is going to provide those things. Indeed, the Bible promises that. Psalm 84 verse 11 is one example. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly and many other places. But added not only means provides, but it also means that seeking first God's kingdom actually makes all of these secondary things better in our life. Okay, Makes them better. Here's the spiritual reality, is that God is not urging us to make these things secondary because he doesn't want us to enjoy all these other things that he adds to us. Rather, it ensures that we enjoy the secondary things as long as we keep them secondary things. Now, most of you know I'm a C.S. Lewis fanboy. I love me some C.S. Lewis and uh, would encourage you to get into him if you're a, a, of the reading sort. The longer that I live, the more convinced I am of a principle that Lewis talks about regarding first things and second things. And it's a little bit of a longer quote, but it's so good, hang with me here. The longer I looked into it, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law. The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end not only, only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all 
power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. I won't spend a lot of time on that, but that's what he said. He was British after all. It is a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. Glorious so long as the other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and so arrange your life, it is sometimes feasible, that you have nothing to do but contemplate her. And what happens? Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows, every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. Apparently, the world is made that way. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Now, that is brilliant. Okay? And young people, you haven't lived enough life to realize that this is true, but the old people here are going to say amen to this point. You don't have to admit you're old by saying amen, but feel free, all right? And why is this? Here's why. Because our Creator has so wired our hearts that when we are in a first priority relationship with Him, where He is our first priority, The good gifts that he gives us, and the world is filled with amazingly wonderful good gifts, those all then are in a position secondary. And they're in that secondary place. They are more enjoyable than they would be if they were in the primary place of our heart because those things cannot satisfy humans who are made for worship of God. So let me give you a few examples. Let's talk about golf. Many of you know I love to play golf. Dad taught me to play golf when I was four. I don't even know how many rounds of golf I've played in my life. But I love to play golf. I look around, I see a few other golfers here. You know when golf is amazing? When you don't have time to play golf. You drive by the golf courses and you're like, oh. Right? You watch the British Open this weekend, or some of you who are online at home dual screen with the British Open and the church going on right now, you know who you are. You think it'd be so great to go play golf, but time doesn't allow it, and the family doesn't allow it, and going to church doesn't allow it. It shouldn't. That's when golf's amazing. But you talk to people who, these guys who retire, and they say, I'm going to play golf every day. All I'm going to do is play golf all the time. What happens to golf? It's not so great. I was thinking about our friends over at Albany's Candy Factory. I do do not have permission for what I'm about to say. So if I'm banished from the factory... It's some risk I say what I'm about to say. But I was thinking about our friends over at Albany's Candy Factory. Do you know when the gummies at Albany's Factory are amazing? when you drive by and you don't have time to stop in. You can almost taste them in your mouth, like, oh, if only I could get some of those gummies, it would be so amazing, but I've got an appointment or the kid's gotta get picked up and ah! I have to think, if you actually worked at Albany's Candy Factory, 
And every day you made millions of gummy bears. They must taste different. Or maybe they're still amazing. I don't know. But if you eat gummy bears all the time, isn't this the Willy Wonka principle uh, from the, you know, his candy factory? Gummies are amazing when you, you don't have very many of them and you don't have time to, to get them. And golf's amazing when I can't, it's not, the, you know, it's, I'd love to do it, but it's secondary to this other thing. Pets, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, children, they're all the same. When we seek them secondarily, we actually enjoy them. But when we make them the God of our life, the functional priority of everything about our existence, not only does it degrade our enjoyment of them, it degrades us. We were made to worship infinite glory. And too often we settle for lesser things by making the lesser things the main things. Okay? So if you want to enjoy the secondary things, you make sure they stay secondary things and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you actually get to enjoy the things even better. Amen? So as you contemplate this bottom line, I want to urge you to seek first the kingdom of God, not as a denial of joy, but as a means to it, as a means to joy in life, and to pity the people of, that try to fill the God void with these other priorities, even food and drink and shelter, which are super important to us. We, we need those things. But if you live for those things, if you obsess over those things, you make those things the most important thing in your life, that's a very pitiable person who's living for those things. And I say this, we need to repent of our own wrong-headed priorities in life that have displaced the kingdom of God and the matters of God and the things that matter in eternity. Such misery these things produce. And to tell you, you know when we get to heaven, guess what we're gonna be obsessed about? When you get a group of guys together in heaven, you know, we're not gonna be talking about uh, our homes and the size of our home and the, you know, the recreation and the, 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 no. The ethic of heaven will be a seeking of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And when we live out that here on earth, it's a foretaste of the glory of what and the joy of what is to come. And so I would just encourage you, why don't you just try it, okay? Just try it. Maybe tomorrow morning. Wake up, make your to-do list, your not-to-do list, and to pray the, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Help me today to seek first the kingdom of God. Why don't you test it? And why don't you see if at the end of a day of trying at least as best you can, if that day doesn't seem more meaningful to you, like actually you were involved in something that matters as you trust your heavenly Father to provide for all your other needs. After all, he does love you. He gave Jesus to you. And if he gave Jesus to you, Romans 8, how will he not also along with him graciously give you all things. Bottom line, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these other things will be added to you. Amen? Amen. Amen.